Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. I'm going to read 1 John 2, 15 through 17 in just a second here. But before I do, um, if we read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit doesn't take the Word of God and we don't have ears to hear, it's going to fall on bad soil, right? It'll just kind of bounce off. And I know that you guys did not come here this morning just to, to waste a morning. I know that we've come here because we want to know our God. We want to grow with our Lord. And he wants us to grow, but in order to do that, we need to be willing. So I want to just have you pray a simple prayer where you're at. And it just basically says this, Jesus, help me to hear you, and then help me to obey. All right? I want you to pray that right now, right where you're at, before we read the Word of God. And Lord, as, as we open your word, I, again, I, I'm aware of our need for you, that apart from you, we can do nothing. But I'm also aware that you desire to do great things amongst us, and that is to reveal yourself. You are great, and for us to see you. And so, Lord, I pray for myself right now. Um, I pray for this congregation and anyone that would listen to this message that the words that you have spoken, we would hear them. We would hear them as you intended them to be heard. And then we would apply the word. Because it's going to reveal who you are. And it will be for our benefit. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning on a rainy Sunday. And we're going to start with 1 John 2, verse 15, and we're going to go through verse 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the, des- the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And last week, you may remember that we began a new teaching series that's entitled, That's a Good Question, where we are seeking to answer some of life's most important questions with biblical truths, truths from God's word. And Terry began last week by laying a foundation, by asking and answering the question, what is the meaning of life? If you were not here last week and haven't heard it, you can go to our YouTube page and and watch it, or you can go to our podcast and listen to it. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to build on top of that foundation that was laid, because these first two messages are going to help instruct us through the rest of of this series that we're going to go through this summer. And the question that I want to ask this morning is, how do you love the world without loving the world? How do you, how do we as a church and Christians love the world without 
loving the world. How do we, in other words, how do we engage in the world as followers of Jesus without compromising or even losing our faith? It's kind of like the Black Death. If you're a history historian person, someone that likes history, unlike me, you're probably aware of the plague known as the Black Death that swept through Europe between 1347 and 1352. It is believed that it started and went through the Europe because of in rats, lovely rats. How many of you guys have a rat as a pet? Okay. I love rats because you love rats. But these were bad rats, and they were infested with fleas that were carrying deadly bacteria. And they came in contact with the Europeans. And many of them were infected with the bubonic plague. Uh, Entire villages were annihilated during this time the plague was so bad. It's estimated that there was between 25 to 30 million people, 30 million souls perished. That was, back then, that was 30 to 50% of the European population. And, you know, this all could have been prevented had they understood what was causing the epidemic and if there had been a vaccine or an antidote. Millions of lives could have been saved. And, you know, in our passage today, The Apostle John is warning the church about a similar spiritual epidemic that was infecting the church of the first century. It's a deadly spiritual disease known as worldliness. It was wreaking havoc in the church back then, and sadly, it continues to do so today in our day and age. Worldliness is a type of spiritual kryptonite that robs a church and its members of its unity, its power, and its effectiveness. And in extreme cases, worldliness will annihilate an entire congregation. Living in the world is dangerous. Worldliness is dangerous. And yet, if you'll remember back a few weeks ago when we were in John 17 and Jesus is praying... His prayer is, Father, I'm not asking that you would take my people out of the world. As a matter of fact, I'm sending them into the world because I want them to be witnesses about how glorious we are. I want them to bring eternal life to where there is death. I want them to bring hope where there is despair, light where there is darkness. And through them, I want, I want the world to see the glory of you. Because when they do, they will become children of God. And so as a church, we are seeking, Reach Life Church is seeking to be obedient in this command, to make, grow, and unleash gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. And as we do this, number one, we must intentionally be in the world. Number one, we have to be in the world. But number two, we must not be what? of the world. We can't let our faith, we can't let the truths of God's word be compromised. And that's why I'm spending this morning talking about how to love the world without 
loving the world. And in 1 John 2.15, as I just read, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. And if you're taking notes this morning, I have um, five. Now, usually we have three. Yeah, five, I know, right? I tried to have six, but I couldn't think of another one, Tim. Five questions underneath this question. And there's number one, what does it mean to love the world? Number two, what is the world? Number three, what's in the world? Number four, where is the world? And number five, what's the antidote or what is the cure for worldliness? So number one, what does it mean to love the word, the world? Well, the Greek word for love in this passage is agapao. It's the verb form of the word agape. And in context, in this context, it means to take pleasure in or to have a high regard for something. John is saying do not take pleasure in or have a high regard for the world. And you may be thinking, that, that's kind of um, confusing because doesn't God love the world? Aren't we supposed to love the world? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, which leads us to number two. See, Tim, I'm moving through this real quick. We're already on point number two. What is the world? Well, in this passage, the, word, the Greek word for world is cosmos, and it can be tr- it's usually uh, translated in three ways, used three ways. Number one, it can refer to the earth and the universe, everything that's created. That is not the use that John is using here because the earth and, and the universe are not evil. When God create, created everything, when God created everything, he said it is what? Good. So he's not talking about the earth here or the world. The second way, he refers to all of mankind. For, and that's how it's used in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. For God so loved all of mankind that he sent his only begotten son. So he's, he's not talking about that. We are to love mankind. Here's how he's using it. The third way is it refers to fallen and a corrupt world system that is opposed to God and is led by the God of this world, Satan. That's what he's saying when he says, don't love the world. That world is going to be destroyed by God. That world is going to be overthrown by God because it is in opposition to God. And so John warns us, do not love the world. And then he goes on to say, or the things in the world. So that leads us to our third question, what are or what's in the world? And it really isn't pretty. It's, it's in verse 16. There's three things in the world that, uh, that John identifies. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that is the desire to gratify sinful cravings within. That desire that you have to to do things that you know that if you do them, you're going to be starting a prison ministry because you're going to jail. But you know, when it comes to the the, the desires of the flesh, the late David Pallison, who died actually this past Friday, he made an astute observation. 
He said that the evil in our desire often lies not in what we want, but in the fact that we want it too much. It's not the desire. It's desiring it too much. It's when we take something and desire it so much that we make it into an idol. For example, it may be wanting to be married. That's not a bad desire. It may be wanting to have children. Or it may be wanting to have obedient children. Or it may be having children that do their schoolwork with a good education or having a good job. Those are not bad desires in and of themselves unless you desire them more than you should. And it's important to understand that any good desire will be corrupted when it's infected with the cancer of worldliness. An example of this is in Matthew 6, Jesus says that when we pray, that when we fast, and that we give, and when we give to the poor, that can be done in a sinful way. Doing good things can be sinful if they are motivated by self, by selfishness. And that's what worldliness is, stealing God's glory for ourselves, by serving ourselves. So what's in the world? Number one, the desires of the flesh. Number two, he says, the desires of the eyes, what we see. Specifically, what we see others having that we don't have. Have you ever been there? Ladies, her hair is so gorgeous. Isn't that that how you say it? (laughs) It's something that, that they have that you don't have. And your heart says, if I had that, I would be so much happier. And you begin to covet it. That's what the Bible calls coveting. And you begin longing for it. But the problem with this is that the reason you don't have it could be for three reasons. Could be because you're lazy. You know, you've been laying in bed all week, and somebody's been out there working, doing what they're supposed to do in a godly way, and you just haven't worked for it. It could be because you hadn't asked God for it. He says that in the book of James. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Or it could be you do ask, but you're asking to feed the, the flesh. And he says, I'm not going to give it to you. But you see it and you covet it. And God says, you know, I didn't give it to you because it's not what's best for you. And when we begin to see things and covet them, it makes us miss the blessings that God has already given us. That's, that's the world right there. It robs us of contentment. Number three, what's in the world? The pride of life. Now, pride is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, don't don't make a judgment yet. We were created to boast and be proud. As long as it's in the right object. 1 Corinthians 131 says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Paul says, I will boast in the cross of Christ. We were made to boast and to be prideful about things. But worldliness, when it gets into us, it causes us to boast in our accomplishments, our abilities, talents, 
and possessions instead of in God, who is the one who gave us all of our abilities, our accomplishments, our talents. In other words, again, we are stealing his glory. Worldliness is a thief. It's all about me. It is not gospel-centered. It is not God-centered. It is me-centered. And John says, this is not from the Father. The things of the world are not from the Father, but from the world. And in verse 17, he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. They are not eternal. The desires of the world are not eternal. They're not going to last. We talked about this last week. They're vanity. They're not the meaning, meaning of life. God is the meaning of life. And so John says, don't love those things which are not going to last. And you know what the world is saying in a nutshell? The world is saying to God, God, we don't want you. We don't want you coming in here telling us what to do. We don't want you to serve you, so please get out of here. Now, if you talk to someone in the world who doesn't believe in God, they may say, I don't hate God. Now, you can believe that, or you can believe what the world did to Jesus. What the world did to Jesus proves what the world believes. When Jesus came into the world, they did not receive him. What did they do? They put him to death. We don't want you get out of our lives. That is the world that we're talking about this morning. That is the world that John says, do not love. Do not be in bed with that system. And you know what? In light of all this, in light of the world's hatred towards God, God still wants us to go into that world. He wants us to go into that world so that we can go to the world of humanity and win it back himself. But we have to be careful that while we are in the world, that we are wise and careful because worldliness is contagious. It's, it's contagious and it's seductive. And if we are not careful, our hearts will be reinfected with a love for a fallen world system that hates and has rejected God. Now, I use the word reinfected for a reason because all of us, everyone in this room, at, if you have not yet come to Jesus, you are still there. But if you've come to Jesus, you were there at one point. You were guilty of being in a love affair with the world because we were all born into sin with a heart that is opposed to God. If you are a parent of small children, what I just said is not hard for you to believe. If you've got an infant or a toddler, you do not have to teach them to sin. That is one thing you don't have to do is teach them to oppose you. Have you ever noticed that? They come straight from the factory hardwired that way. And if there is a button on the back that could flip it, it's broken. It does not work. We, I love what Vody Bauckham says about children. He says, infants and toddlers are not innocent. They are little vipers in diapers. And in Titus 3, the Apostle Paul says, For we, speaking of Christians, for we ourselves once were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Verse 3 is a picture of the world. That's where we were before we came to Jesus. 
And then there's the gospel, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Notice it doesn't say when God came down with a hammer. It says goodness, loving kindness. When that appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, the precious Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We all come into this world kicking and screaming against God. And those of us who have been won over by the love of Jesus and the kindness of God, we need to remember something. That 1 John was written to those who love Jesus. It was not written to the world. And so that teaches us that that there's always going to be this temptation in us to drift towards the, the world. And even in worst cases, to drift away. Uh, there's this guy named Demas in the New Testament. Demas uh, was a guy that was on some of Paul's missionary journeys. He actively laid down his life, put himself in jeopardy to spread the gospel. Paul regarded him as a fellow worker in, in the faith, and when Paul wrote letters to the church in Colossae and, and to a man named Philemon, at the end of these letters, Paul says, Demas greets you. He was amongst them serving the Lord. But something happened along the way. Something happened to Demas, and he didn't last. And we know this because 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, speaking of Demas, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Why? Why did he desert him? Because he fell back in love with the world. That is tragic. What happened to Demas? How how could he go from risking his life for the gospel of Jesus and then become a deserter and loving this present world? I think, you know, if we're honest, we all know somebody that's like that, right? Who was on fire for the Lord at some point. But at some point, they... Stopped paying attention. They let their guard down. They began to drift. It's kind of like being at the ocean. Now, I know some of you guys don't like the ocean, but I do. So it's being in the ocean with your back to the shore, playing in the, in the waves. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you turn back around and you have drifted without even knowing it. Worst case scenarios, you get taken by a riptide, undercurrents that will take you away from where you started. And this can happen to us spiritually. That's why in Hebrews 2, verse 1, the writer says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Speaking of the gospel, we've got to pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The world is seductive. Let's don't kid ourselves. It has spiritual undercurrents that can take us away, even if we don't think it can happen. And it happens when we stop paying attention to our lives and to the gospel that we have been entrusted with. So, we need to beware of the world as we're in the world. But where is the world? Where is the world? 
Well, some of us might have a, a fival type of mentality. You know the little mouse from an American tale? We think the world is somewhere out there. It's that those people out there, those people downtown, those, those movies, those substances, those evil substances that I would never take, those demons, they're, they're out there. And indeed, the world is out there. It is out there, but that's not my biggest promise. Problem. That is not my biggest problem. Because my biggest problem is in here. The world is still in here. Second Peter 2.11 warns, Peter warns us, the world is waging war against your soul inside of you. The world is out there, but it's also in here, right in here. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, what, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth? It's what comes out of the mouth. For out of the heart, he's going to tell you what's in the heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And we need to be on guard. And you know what? We do need to guard ourselves against that which is out there. Parents, we do need to guard our families, okay? We need, and we need to guard our church because there, is, there are things that are wanting to come in here. So I don't want to act, I don't, I don't want you to hear me going, oh, it's nothing out there, it's just in here. No, it's, it's out there and in here. There is, a, there is a battleground that's going on and it's in our hearts that we need to be, that I'm wanting to focus on right now. And I've got a little questionnaire I want to ask you guys right now to assess yourself. It's a 10-question questionnaire I'm going to give you right now to see if you are infected with the disease of worldliness or are you drifting right now, okay? So come back to me. Are you drifting? And it's this, the symptoms of worldliness, all right? Do we have a list of that? All right, good. Number one, the first symptom is blindness. You no longer see the glory of God God doesn't seem as glorious to you. He's, he may seem a little boring to you. And you don't see those around you who are lost and who are in need. It could be a coworker or a classmate or even a family member. Instead of seeing them as someone that God is putting in your life for you to share the gospel with and to reveal God, you see them as a nuisance to you. Number two, numbness. You can feel your own inward sorrows and felt needs, but... You are numb to the pain and needs of others. Three, overweightness or obesity. You've been fed spiritually week after week after week. You go to the Word of God. You listen to Christian music, but you have not been exercising your faith. You've not been sharing what you've been given, and so you're stockpiling it and becoming overweight. Loss of appetite, number four, because you're feeding on temporal things. Um, you no longer hunger for God and the things of God. Number five, hearing of loss, uh, hearing loss. You're hard of hearing. God's voice is no longer sweet to your ears, and you're really not listening 
anyway to hear what he's wanting to communicate to you. Number six is delicate skin. In other words, your skin is thin and super sensitive when someone brings something to you in correction. So, and this is how you deal with it. Either it's wrong what they brought. No, that's, that's not right. That's wrong. Or they brought it in the wrong way. So therefore, you don't have to listen to them. And let me tell you something. Sometimes God speaks to us through people and they speak the wrong way, but he's still speaking to us. And so, God, if someone brings you something, my, my tendency, I have thin skin, to be honest with you at times, and my tendency is to do what I just said. Mm-mm. I need to stop, though, and go, okay, is this from God? Even if the person's, if, even if it's my neighbor who's mad at me because my dog's going on their property and doing his business, right? And he's angry at me. Oh, he came in the wrong way, so I don't have to listen to him. Well, that's not true. God often speaks to us, and it might be come to us in the, in the wrong way. Number seven is tennis elbow. Y'all know what that is, right? You always have an excuse why you can't serve. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but you're happy when others serve you. You're fine with people serving you. Number eight. Your favorite game is hide-and-seek because when you're needed by your brothers and sisters, you can't be found, and we got to go out looking for you. You know, that one right there, if you see a brother or sister that's pulling away from the body of Christ, hiding-and-seek, we need to go seek, don't we? It's dangerous. That's a, that's a demon in the making right there. Number nine, your favorite number is one. Because you're always looking out for number one. And number ten, your favorite two letters in the alphabet. You know what they are? You are. Basically, worldliness is an infectious disease that leads to self-centeredness, which leads to death. And we are commanded to be in the world And if we are not engaging with the world out there, it means we're loving the world in here because we are being guilty of disobeying God. We're not obeying the great commandment. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. So we've got to get face-to-face. We've got to rub shoulders with real people. And I'm not just talking about on Facebook and through social media, and Snapchat. And we are going to be talking about media in this series uh, later on. But that's not what I'm talking about right now. We are commanded to be in the world, but we also have to be aware that there is a danger of being seduced and taken away and falling back in love with the world. So my my final question is this. What's the antidote? What is the antidote from being worldly again. How do we love the world without loving the world? How do we keep from getting bitten by spiritual fleas that are carrying deadly bacteria? Now, some would argue that it's all external, that if we we need to learn to walk a certain way, we need to learn to talk a certain way. If we dress right, if we avoid certain types of music with certain chord progressions or certain beats, you know, if, if we don't dance, um, 
even though the word, the word of God says dance to the Lord, uh, if we can just watch good, wholesome, cheesy Christian movies that move our hearts, uh, if we can just do these types of things, all these external things, then they will help us to keep us from loving the world. But as I've already said, it's not just external, it's internal. If we stayed away from all those things and you put yourself in a box, you still got that which is inside. It's kind of like that movie where someone's chasing the, the person and they run into the house and they turn around and that person's in the house too. That's what it's like. You cannot get away from the world with your own strength. It's all around. So what is the antidote? Well, we've already read it. It's actually in verse 15. Let's read verse 15 one more time. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, here's the antidote. The love of the Father is not in him. You see that? What is the antidote that fights against worldliness? The love of the Father being in us. That is what we need. We need to be vaccinated with the love of the Father. It keeps us from loving this world system. And it, then it empowers us to love this, the people that are in the world, the love of the Father. That's the gospel. And how did God express his love for us? He sent his son, right? He, that's how he expressed his love for us. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He, speaking of Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. I'm going to read that again. I want you to listen. This, I'm, I'm reading to you the antidote right now. If you, if you want to fight against worldliness, here it is. He, speaking of Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He was punished for our rebellion, for our affair with the world that hates God. He was punished for that. And here's why. That we might die to sin or that we would stop loving the world and live to righteousness. He says, by his wounds, you have been healed. Healed from what? Healed from worldliness. See, when, when Jesus heals us from worldliness, it cures all those 10 things that I read. It cures our blindness, our numbness, our overweightness, our loss of appetite, hearing loss, delicate skin, tennis elbow. We begin to serve others. Our favorite game goes from being hide and seek to capture the flag. You ever played capture the flag? That game's about you getting people freed from your enemy. You go to the prison, you set them free. And your favorite number becomes infinity because God is eternal. Verse 25, he says, For we were straying like sheep. We're no better than anyone else, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I've got a few questions in closing for you to assess yourself right now. Right now where you're sitting. Who or what has your heart? Where are you at? There you are, Lisa. Amen. I hope that's the answer. I hope that, that Jesus has your heart. Is it Jesus or is it the world? How do you know? Here's how you know. 
Ask yourself this, is your life any different from those around you? Is there a distinct line between you and the world? Another question you can ask yourself, are you loving the world or are you in love with the world? Are you loving the world or are you in love with the world? Those who love the world, give them Jesus. Those who are in love with the world, lift themselves up with the world. So how do we end worldliness in ourselves? Number one, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. And that's basically receive the love of God. Receive what Jesus has done for you. Have Jesus live within yourself. Repent of your sin and come to God because knowing the love of God makes us world-proof. Secondly, you need to renew your vaccination. We've got a dog. Pray for us, but we've got a dog that I'm learning. Back in, when I was growing up, you had a dog, you had a dog. Today you have a dog, you've got to get a toothbrush, you've got to have all these things for this dog, and one of them is that you've got to get it vaccinated regularly, right? <laughs> because the vaccination runs out. And, that, and we're similar to that as a church. Because you experience the love of God, and it needs to be renewed. Not saved again, but renewed, reminded. So that happens in your time with God alone, right now, time together. That's how we get re-vaccinated, preaching the gospel to ourselves. And thirdly, we need to share the vaccine with those who are perishing. This is the one I really want to stop on and ask you, are you doing that? You're, you're doing the renew your vaccination because you're here. But are we individually sharing the vaccine with those who are infected and are perishing? That is the one area that I believe that we as a church have got to become more serious about. Be missional-minded. That's an area that I'm greatly convicted about. Are you putting yourself around people who are sick, who need the vaccine? And are you taking your resources? It's such a joy to do that, to use your resources to win people to Christ. And one of the greatest ways, and I want, our, I want to see this happen more, and it's already happening in our church, but I want to see it happen more, is if you have been given by God a supper table, use that. Invite people to this gathering. But go another step, invite them into your home and become their friend and share a meal. Take, take what God has given you redeemed, and share it. And as you're sharing it, share the love of God with them. Share the vaccine with them. Win them, not just with, you know, attract and buy, I'm gone, but with your life. Open your life up. That is what we've been called to do, and there's such great joy when we do that. And I, and I really believe that our church is growing in that direction. I, I hear, as I'm talking to our congregation and our leaders. I'm hearing that people are doing those types of things. I just want to encourage you. If you've never done that or if you, you haven't even thought to do that and you're a believer, I want to encourage you, take a step this week. Who has God put in your life for you to give that vaccine to? And then share that with somebody. You might want to share some, with someone today before you leave. Lord, um, guys, i am got so-and-so over here. 
at work, I've never shared the vaccine with them. Would you pray for me? That's how the family comes around and does that. We are a church family meant to support one another, meant to grow wherever we're at, help each other to grow and not, not to stay where we're at. So let's be faithful in sharing what God has done for us. Amen? Let's pray.